Welcome to the Monocle Current Account. In this podcast, our research team catches you up on what happened this week in the world of finance and regulations. Welcome to the Monocle Current Account. In this episode, we consider the suspension of bank dividends due to the COVID-19 pandemic and discuss what effect the health crisis has had and will continue to have more generally on the global banking system. I'm Robin Wilkinson, and I'm joined by Guy Wilding and Chris Strahley. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Roland. Hi, Robin. We're the research and content team here at Monocle, and this is The Current Count. Let's begin by looking at some of the most significant news headlines in finance and regulation from around the world this week, many of which have converged around some of the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic that we are only seeing now several months down the line. This week, the SAB announced that it will hold the repo rates, and there have been some more developments in the race for a COVID-19 vaccine. In addition, a report has been released detailing the impact of the pandemic on liquidity markets in March when the outbreak began. Starting off looking at home here in South Africa, the South African Reserve Bank's Monetary Policy Committee has announced that there will not be a further cut to the repo rate, which was slashed by 300 basis points to 3.5% during 2020. Some members of the committee put forward the case that the rate could be cut by a further 25 basis points, supported primarily by the fact that consumer inflation slowed to 3% in September and is likely to remain subdued. Nonetheless, the final decision was to hold the rate at 3.5%. The prime commercial bank lending rate remains at a four-decade low of 7%. Then last week, we spoke about Pfizer pulling ahead in the race for a COVID-19 vaccine. Chris, you mentioned that you had an update on this story for us. Yes, thanks, Robin. It seems like the vaccine race is really heating up now. Earlier this week, American biotech company Moderna announced that they had also finished their clinical trials and that their COVID-19 vaccine was 95% effective, according to these trials. For the last few months, Moderna has been running clinical trials with 30,000 participants, 15,000 of which were administered vaccine and 15,000 of which were administered placebo. Of the 15,000 that were administered the vaccine, only five contracted COVID-19 during this time, and 90 of the placebo group contracted COVID-19. Importantly also, none of the five that contracted COVID-19 of the vaccine group became seriously ill. There were also no serious side effects. The new vaccine is using a technology called mRNA, and it's the first of its kind in a vaccine. So if it all goes well, it seems like we may have a vaccine in the very near future. Let's hold thumbs. Yeah, and then in regulatory news, the Financial Stability Board, um, they're an international supervisory body, they released a pretty comprehensive report on the March market turmoil. So it details the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on liquidity markets in March of this year, where the resilience of the global financial system was strained by vulnerabilities of non-bank financial institutions, so MBFIs, and their market operations. These include institutions such as insurers, pension and investment funds, and other financial intermediaries who generally regulate to a lesser extent than banks. The report found that without the substantial intervention of central banks around the globe, the impact of these vulnerabilities would have been significantly worse. However, central banks' reactions may be encouraging a moral hazard. The 60-page report goes on to identify lessons learned and possible policy implications to address future NBFI shocks. Moving on to our main story, we're going to take a look at the issue of the suspension of bank dividends due to the COVID-19 pandemic and consider the broader impact of the health crisis on the global banking system at present and also moving forward. In particular, what caught my eye this week was an interview with Carolyn Rogers, who is the Secretary General of the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision. 
In the interview, she said that she believed that it was too early for banks to resume paying dividends or allowing share buybacks, and advised instead that these should remain on hold until the longer-term impact of the COVID-19 pandemic becomes more clear. Now, this advice has come at a time when banking executives are increasingly putting pressure on regulators to allow them to restart dividends and repurchase stock, as this will enable them to boost their share prices, which have taken a hit as a result of the pandemic and extremely low interest rates around the world. What the Basel Committee is essentially saying is that banks should remain conservative until we have a better idea of what the longer-term effects of the pandemic will be on the financial system, and advising that they continue to hold back on dividends and share buybacks to ensure that they retain enough capital to be able to continue lending during this period of economic uncertainty. Guy, could you perhaps give us a little bit more background about why the suspension of dividends has been such an important part of banks' response to the pandemic? Yeah. Here in South Africa, uh, we've seen a guidance note released by the Prudential Authority in March of this year, specifically around the release of dividends or uh, dissuading banks from releasing dividends. You know, from a bigger picture here, the regulator is basically um, looking to make sure that banks are effectively capable of providing funding to the global economy, as well as administering this through a stable financial system. And so in order to achieve this, Central banks around the world, and that includes the Saab, will push banks to delay dividend payments, bonuses to executives, or certain market practices, like you mentioned, um, share buybacks. Um, And this is particularly, or this is something that they would want to introduce so that quality core capital, like retained earnings that would be used for these practices, is retained by the bank to keep them well capitalized. This in turn allows them to operate effectively and absorb kind of losses that might occur further down if the COVID pandemic doesn't uh, go the way that we would want it to. So like you mentioned, um, and like Carolyn Rogers mentioned, it's about being conservative about both the economy's recovery as well as its stability. Yes, Guy, but I think what the banks are arguing now is that while these measures made sense in the heat of the crisis, Now that we have started to return to some normalcy in the world, they too want to return to some normalcy. They also want to pay their dividends and buy back shares and all those good things that banks like. But I suppose the point that Karen Rogers has made is that whilst we might be experiencing a degree of normality at the moment, what will happen next with regard to the pandemic is still very uncertain. And given this, banks should basically prepare for the worst. If it is that the worst doesn't happen, then banks can still pay out dividends at a later stage. Yeah, Robin. So what you mentioned, I think, is is the big problem, um, and that's uncertainty. There's still a lot of uncertainty around coronavirus and its continued impact on the global financial system. So, you know, we can just look at America and Europe as we start to see um, more and more cases of coronavirus ticking up, leading to a second wave. And while we have the announcement of these two very promising vaccines, there's still concerns around the logistics of these vaccines. Um, Added to that, we see the U.S. presidential election being contended, as well as the IMF producing a forecast that the global economy is going to result in a turndown of 4.4%. And that's even worse than what we experienced in 2008. So just a lot of uncertainty driving the current situation forward. It's a really good point. And I think on top of that, what's worth noting is that what the Basel Committee is saying is also very much aligned with the intent of new accounting regulations such as IFRS 9, because those regulations force banks to make great provisions for bad loans much earlier than they did in the past. 
And that's obviously placed extra pressure on banks this year with everything that's happened. But I suppose there are many who would argue that putting aside too much too early is preferable to ending up in a situation where there's too little too late. Yes, this may be true, Robin, but there can also be side effects of this. What we also don't want is a situation where banks try to protect their capital levels by constraining credit, as this could spell disaster in terms of company failures and in turn ramp up bad debts for banks. So at the end of the day, it's an incredibly delicate balance between encouraging banks to act conservatively, but still acknowledging that they need to be able to operate in a way that makes sense as a business and that takes into account share prices and bonuses. Yeah, and to add to that point, um, I also came across an opinion piece that was written by a gentleman named Simon Samuels, who is a banking consultant. He argues very strongly that the ban on bank dividends has been a terrible idea. What he basically says is that the only way that banks can generate capital is either internally by making profits or externally by raising money from shareholders. And with the plunge in bank share prices at the moment, he believes that the ability of banks to raise new capital by attracting investors has been severely damaged. So he's looking more long-term and saying that the bank share prices are not simply going to rebound. Now they're not going to pay dividends, and investors are simply going to take their money elsewhere, which could severely harm the ability of banks to raise capital in the future. So yeah, it's an interesting point, Robin. And and going back to the Financial Stability Board, that report that they put out, they also raised the fact that there's been significant growth within the non-bank financial intermediaries. So um, one of the statistics they mentioned was that Assets under management have increased from $21 trillion in 2008 to $53 trillion in 2018. So that's more than doubling in less than 10 years. And this kind of trend is driven by increased costs coming from, from banks, as well as just general low returns um, in the global economy. The market players were looking for a riskier but greater returns. And so financing has moved away from banks and more towards less regulated MBFIs that the FSB say are more susceptible to uh, market shocks and liquidity risk. The FSB also pointed to the fact that uh, these NBFIs were detrimental or were part of the reason for the uh, the March turmoils that we saw earlier this year. Some of the examples they mentioned were large unwindings of positions from hedge funds that disrupted usually quite stable treasury markets, unforeseen margin calls, and large amounts of deleveraging coming from investment funds. And this led to price dislocations, uh, liquidity stress that central banks had to combat through various initiatives. And, and we saw the Saab also being involved in this, but globally, there were rate cuts, asset repurchases of foreign debt and corporate bonds, um, and then opening up liquidity and, and capital buffers to, to banks. So the trend is basically that a systemic risk drivers seem to be moving away from banks in, in the financial industry. And, and banks are now under increased pressure to offer returns while being regulated far more than these NBFIs. So banks really are in a very difficult position like Simon Samuels mentions. But now I think that we've moved through some of the liquidity shocks of the pandemic. I think we'll start to see more and more banks looking to try and return uh, to normality. And I think bearing that in mind, it's probably also worth noting that what Karen Rogers has said on behalf of the Basel Committee is also more by way of advice than a strict regulatory requirement. Switzerland and Sweden have, for example, already indicated that bank payouts could resume from next year, although the US Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank and the Bank of England have yet to make any comments on the subject. And I suppose in a way that's not entirely surprising because, as we've said, it is just so difficult to say anything with any certainty at the moment. Chris, looking ahead, what other sources of uncertainty are banks still going to have to contend with as a result of the pandemic? 
Looking ahead, I think it's safe to say that banks are definitely not out of the woods yet. There are still many challenges that lie ahead. There's the risk of more national lockdowns. As we have seen in Europe, there's been a second wave of COVID-19, which has severely constrained economic output. There are also long-term trends that have been exacerbated by the pandemic, such as a rapid shift to digital channels. Banks with large footprints of ATMs and branches will, will have to adapt to this new world. And finally, banks will have to adapt to a low interest rate world, a reality which in all likelihood will be the norm in the next few years or even the next decade. But I think that's a topic for another day. We'll be keeping an eye out for any developments on this topic, so make sure to tune into upcoming episodes of The Current Account for any updates. All the links to the headlines and stories covered in this podcast are in the description above. From everyone at the Monocle Research and Content Team, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Visit monocle.co.za or co.uk to subscribe for updates. From Johannesburg to London, Cape Town to Amsterdam, Monocle, we design change.